Welcome to the Encounter Community Church Podcast, where we take God's Word and look at how we can utilize, practically apply it, and implement it into our lives. Welcome back to the Encounter Community Church Podcast. My name is Ken Ballard Jr., and I am the pastor here at Encounter. And yes, I am getting over my last couple of days of depression because my Buccaneers are out of the playoffs. (laughs) Now, I have to tell you that when I was watching the game on Sunday, when I was able to get to it, I had some other things happening. I didn't get home until after the second half. And when I got home, I I walked in the door and the Bucs were down 27 to three. 27 to three. Now I had the game playing in the car. When I got out of the car and walked in the house, between that time, the Bucks had scored a touchdown. So it was 27 to 10. But I still had resigned my fate and the Bucks' fate to, it's over, the playoffs are done, they're not gonna go to the Super Bowl. I'm okay with that, I was at peace. But then they scored again. And then they scored again. <laughs> and it was 27 to 27. And I was losing my mind, and I was trying to stay calm and reserved and everything, but I was, yes, I was so excited. And I think there was like something like 13 seconds left. It was something really short. It looked like the Buccaneers were at least going to go to overtime and maybe have a chance to win in overtime. But no, no, it's like 30 seconds. But no, We dialed up this defense that let Cooper Cup through, and the next thing you know, the Rams are kicking a field goal and winning a game. And I was just like, no way. You got me invested, and then you blow it? Like, come on, man. And then I started flashing back to all those moments when I've watched Buck games in the past, and they would do the same thing, where I would get invested, and they would lose, and I would get invested. And they would lose. And, and I began, like I said, to, to, to have that moment where I, I just became, once again, that frustrated Buccaneer fan. But then it hit me. Dude, we won the Super Bowl last year. <laughs> relax, as Aaron Rodgers would say, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Relax, R-E-L-A-X. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, Here's what that moment did, is it brought me to this, and let me tell you, this is going to be a week where the football does connect to what it is that we're talking about, so make sure that you stay tuned. <laughs> but, but it brought me back to what we talked about last Sunday, and we looked at this thing called cognitive bias. And, and basically what cognitive bias is, it's error in thinking due to negative experiences in my life, due to negative experiences in my past, maybe negative experiences in relationships or friendships or in my educational career or just whatever it may be. There's, there's some disappointment in my life that I've experienced. And what that does now is it taints everything that happens in my present. So basically, again, our past colors how we see the circumstances of our present. Now, for me, I went back and I looked at the, and I can tell you, like, my thinking for this game was, please don't do it again to me, Bucks. Please don't do it again to me, Bucks. And, and there was a part of me that was thinking, like, oh, it's not, oh, oh, yes, oh, oh. 
and they did it to me again. But that's what cognitive bias does. Now for me, I'm just talking about the Buccaneers, but you know what, we can also apply this to dating. You meet that guy or you meet that girl and guy breaks girl's heart or girls breaks guy's heart. And it's done so horribly and it impacts you so terribly that the result is when you get involved in relationships in the future and then you get the text. You know the one, we need to talk. <laughs> That's the absolute worst, isn't it? Because what happens to your mind, especially if you've been hurt by previous relationships, what goes to your mind is, oh my goodness, they're gonna break up with me, uh, they're gonna tell me that they're involved in a relationship with someone else, or, or just whatever the painful experience of our past was, we think it's gonna go down that, that line once again. And, and so we, start to run over scenarios in our brain about what they're going to say to us and what our response is going to be and it just goes and goes and goes and then we see that one the one that we love the one that we're committed to in this relationship with the one now that we are deathly afraid of where this is going to go and, and we're going to get our hearts broken once again and you ask well why do we need to talk and then they just needed to talk about what movie selection you're gonna get. Like, whatever they needed to talk is not about anything substantial. It's not what you made it up in your mind to be. But for some reason, cognitive bias, what it does is it kicks in and we begin to see things negatively. Maybe you had a boss and he or she was horrible. So you're at your new job and your boss says, hey, I need you to come into my office. Now, you know with your old boss and with your old previous experience, what that meant was you were about to go into this office and you were going to be chewed out. Like you were going to be told off. You were going to be cussed at or, or just whatever tendencies it was in your old boss. So now you walk into your new boss's office with fear and trepidation because you have this bias that says, when my boss calls me to the office, my boss is going to go on attack. So again, that's what cognitive bias does, is it colors our present based upon the experiences of our past. So we're in the middle of this series that we've been doing called Winning the War in Your Mind. And it's based off of a book of the same title, by a guy named Craig Rochelle. And for those of you that are here for the first time, I've talked about this before, but, but just to let you know, I, I read or I listened to, because I do Audible, so I listened to the book in June-ish or so, somewhere around in June. And it was so impactful that I thought, you know what, this will be a great book to use for a sermon series at the beginning of the year when we're thinking about resolutions and wanting to change. Because so many of us are frustrated with our resolutions because we don't see change happening. And the reason why is because we try to change the action, but not necessarily change our thoughts. So I thought this was really, really powerful. So that's what we've been doing over the course of this series. And last Sunday, we talked about cognitive bias. And again, it's error in thinking due to negative experiences. Now, why do we practice cognitive bias? Well, here's kind of the mindset of what we do as humans is we love to put ourselves in positions where we have a predictable outcome. 
we love to try to figure what that outcome might be. And so another way that cognitive bias kicks in is that we try to control our circumstances or the people around us so that we can try to get the outcome that we want. And so basically what happens with cognitive bias is also, it, it's a way for us to be able to be in control. So what happens are our old fears kick in, our old thought processes kick in, and then what we do is because of cognitive bias, now for example, let, let's go back to the relationship example. Or maybe here's what we do. We get that text. And then what we try to do is maybe we begin to, to, to try to manipulate the circumstance or the situation because we're afraid of how it's going to work out. We're afraid of how it's going to come. So we, we try to do it in a way where we protect ourselves, but our mind begins to automatically predict what we think the outcome is going to be. Now, sometimes that could be a great thing. For example, if I study, I can predict that the outcome may be that I will do well in my test. Or if I, if I work really hard on this project, I can predict that when I do the presentation at work, it will be well or it will go well. But now, what cognitive bias gets in the way, what it says, what cognitive bias may do is I, I did a presentation, I prepared, I went well, and it just flopped. So what cognitive bias will do is cognitive bias will say, it doesn't matter how well you prepare. It doesn't matter how well you have it together. It's still going to fail. It's still going to flop. This is one of the reasons why so many of us, we self-sabotage because of cognitive bias. It kicks in in our relationship, so we sabotage the relationship. It kicks in in our career, so we sabotage our career. It kicks in in our friendship. So we sabotage that friendship. It kicks in on our health. So maybe we sabotage the way that we're eating and, and improving and, and, and trying to work out. It, it, it does kick in. Like I, I think about, for me, how sometimes I've had experiences with cognitive bias in my mind. And I, I may have told this story to you before that when I was in high school, I had a friend that was a really, I thought, was a really great friend. It was someone that I had grown up with that knew all of my struggles and my wrestles and things that I'd gone through and some of the negative, horrible experiences of my past. And then what happens is I, I, I get to school, and let's, I'll just call his name Jeffrey, just in case the person happens to listen to this podcast. And I don't, I don't want to out the guy. So what he does, though, is he begins to tell all of these rumors about me. The thing is, and you know how it is with rumors. Rumors, they have an inkling of truth because to, for them to be believed, there has to be enough truth to them to make them believable. So what he did is he put my past out there, my struggles out there, and then ran with it. So I had a friend who happened to hear what he said and came to me and said, hey, Jeffrey is saying this and this and this about you. And I was like, what? So I went to Jeffrey's house to ask him outside so we could have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be a conversation with my fist. I was so angry, so angry. 
But then you know what that did? When I would walk into, and you've done this before, where you walk into a situation where two people are sitting down and they're talking and they see you come and they stop. Well, because of what Jeffrey did, my cognitive bias kicks in. And so when I walk in and two people look at me and they stop talking, then it makes me think, are you talking about me? Are you? Just say it to my face. <laughs> and then what happens is I come in and I would be either hostile or standoffish or cold or distant. When in actuality, their conversation may have had nothing to do with me. But because of my cognitive bias, my cognitive bias says, Ken, they're talking about you behind your back. They're spreading gossip about you. You, you better go in there. You better jump in. You better jump in. You better defend yourself. And so you walk in. So what are you guys talking about? And then, of course, that conversation goes on and on and on, and then you get frustrated, and then the whole deal, the whole deal. So as we think about this, it's important for us to know how our cognitive bias really can affect us. There's a story of cognitive bias that I wanted to talk to you about. It may be one that you're familiar with, but it, it didn't hit me until I was thinking about this, and then the story has cognitive bias all over it. So in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 43, it says, A woman in the crowd has suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. So this actually is connected to her menstrual cycle. So it's 12 years of bleeding in her menstrual cycle, like 12 straight years. Could you, could, could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Just to just the struggle that she had. And, and back in biblical times, it was handled differently. Many, if, if you go back, like if you were someone who decided, I'm going to read through the Bible, and you get through Genesis, and you're like, yes, Genesis is great. And you get to Exodus, and the first half of Exodus is really exciting, but then the second half, it starts to get into the law, so it starts to lose a little bit of its luster. And then you get into Leviticus. And here's the truth. The only people who really enjoy Leviticus are lawyers. <laughs> it just feels that way because Leviticus covers all the laws governing the Israelite people. And it makes sense that God would give them guidelines and laws because they're establishing a brand new nation. Well, one of those chapters in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 15, is all about bodily emissions male bodily emissions as well as female bodily emissions. So it, it talks about the menstrual cycle and it actually says this in Luke chapter 15, I'm sorry, in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19. It says, whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Anything on which the woman lies or sits during the time of her period will be unclean. If any of you touch her bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch any object she has sat on, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. This includes her bed or any other object she has sat on. You will be unclean until evening if you touch it. If a man has sexual intercourse with her and her blood touches him. 
Her menstrual impurity will be transmitted to him and he will remain unclean for seven days and any any bed on which he lies will be unclean. Now, you may look at that and think, well, 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 this just seems kind of extreme because what happens is when someone is unclean, they're actually, they, they actually can't go into the temple. Uh, they actually can't, they, they tend to try to step back in their association with people because it just makes sense. When someone comes over your house and if they're going to sit on your couch and the couch now is considered unclean, you, you kind of want to know that, right? You kind of want to know that. Now, here's the reason why I believe that God did this. Because it's not like today. It's not like we had hospitals. They had hospitals back then and medical treatments back then. And, and so this was a way to protect us because think about how many diseases are passed through bodily fluids. How many diseases are passed that way? So then it, it, it makes sense that, that God would say, hey, here's what you could do to protect yourself. If this happens, wash and you're unclean until this period. If this happens, wash and you're unclean until this period. It makes sense. It, it goes on to say in verse 25, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, and that's what this woman was going through, or if blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean as during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. So 12 years of this, any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during the time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water, and you will remain unclean until evening. And then it says in verse 28, when the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days, then she will be ceremonially clean. So now put yourself back in her shoes, back in biblical times. Because here's the thing, let's say, for example, I, you know, my wife and I, we invite her to come over to our house to have dinner with us. Well, then she would have to tell us, well, if I have dinner with you, I have this issue with my bleeding. So the chair that I would sit in would be unclean. So then we would have to decide. And back in biblical times, many, many of them were ruthless. So, so what they would do is, well, fine, I just want to have you over. Because I don't want to be considered ceremonially unclean. That means I can't go to the temple. It means I can't interact with others. It means it affects my, my, my social circle. So just put yourself in her place now. Because of this issue of blood, whatever it is that she has, it affects all of her friendship. It affects all of her relationships. I mean, you can't get married because you would have to say to the man, look, I have this issue. I've been having it for the past two, three, you know, however, however many years before you start dating that person. I've had this issue. So he would have to decide. And most men would say, I'm not willing to go through that. Because that means every time I'm with you, I'm ceremonially unclean and I'm unclean for seven days. That means I may not be able to work during those seven days. I may not be able to go to church during those seven days or synagogue during those seven days. So the ramifications of her experience were pretty tremendous, but pretty incredible. Imagine that you are in this place where you constantly have to tell people that you're unclean and they constantly respond to you in a negative way. Just imagine 
how that develops. And what we can see is as we continue to read through this story, we will see that that does represent her experience. Now, going back to the story, verse 44 says, Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Now, here's the thing that happened. is It said that Jesus was in a crowd. And according to other passages and other versions, it would say that crowd was thronging. So this was a, have you ever been inside of a crowd where it was so crowded and so dense that you have to turn your shoulders just to walk straight to get to the, and you're bumping and they're being bumped and you're bumping you and excuse me, excuse me, sorry, you're stepping on feet, they're stepping on your feet, excuse me, excuse me, sorry. And it's just, it's just so dense and so crowded. I had this experience in Times Square with my family. We had to walk through, six of us had to walk through in Times Square. We had to walk through a single file because there were so many people around us. It was just crazy. It was crazy. I was holding my kids' hands and made them hold hands with one another. And, and we tried our best to make sure that we, because we didn't want to lose our kids in Times Square in New York. That would have been crazy. That's how crazy. I, have you ever been in a situation where you were in a crowd that's like that? That's what this crowd was like. Now here's the truth, it's because she was unclean, she wasn't supposed to be in that cloud, in that crowd. Because everyone she bumped or everyone that she touched now became unclean. But Jesus was coming through. And, and notice, she didn't approach Jesus and tell Jesus her story. Why? Because she really wasn't supposed to be there. And so her cognitive bias told her, I, I just need to be quiet. I just need to, to go because maybe there's a chance that I might be healed, but I can't say anything because if I say something, I might be judged and Jesus might reject me. That's what her cognitive bias would do because that's probably what she experienced. That's why she did it so secretly. But she touches and he's, she's healed immediately. And then it goes on to say, and you can tell why she responded this way as, as you understand this. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. So you're crazy, Jesus. I was touching you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. And so he kept pushing and kept pushing because he wanted to find out who it was. He says, When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, you catch that? She wanted to be hidden. Why? Because she was unclean. She really wasn't supposed to be there. She began to tremble. Why? Because she was afraid. Now I'm going to be outed in front of all of these people. All of these people, I put them in a position where now they're unclean. They're going to have to go home. They're going to have to ceremony and wash themselves. It's the whole deal. And she fell to her knees in front of him. And she touched the master. Now think about that. By touching Jesus... Jesus now becomes unclean. Wow, just think about that. Jesus now takes on her issue. He now becomes unclean. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. When he went to the cross, he took on our sin. In other words, he became unclean for us. He became unclean for us. But she explained her story and that she had been immediately healed. So physically she had been healed. 
But now, here's the thing that's really interesting is look what Jesus says to her. First of all, he says to her, daughter. Now, why is that so significant? As I talked about last week, this was a psychological healing that she needed to have happen. This was a statement of, you're, you're in relationship, like we're in this together. Daughter, daughter, he said to her. And he said this, your faith has made you well. Wait, but she was already healed. What do you mean has made you well? Then he says, and this is the biggest part, go in peace. Go in peace. That's the reason why Jesus sought her out is because he knew there was more than just a physical healing that needed to happen. Her cognitive bias that drove her now had to be realigned. Her thought processes had to be refreshed. And so with this in mind, I I just want to encourage us as Christians, we need to be careful because people could have a negative experience with us that creates a cognitive bias against God. And the truth is, you may know someone or you may even be someone. And if you are someone who's walked away from God because of your negative experiences with Christians, that's created a cognitive bias. And what is that cognitive bias? All Christians are hypocrites. All churches are after your money. The church has hurt me so bad. The pastor's a crook. Like, like we can go through the list of negative experiences that you've had. Or maybe, maybe this. You were judged. You were judged. And because of that, you walked away because you wanted nothing to do with God and with God's people if that's what this judgment meant. So you were done. Not only that, the other cognitive bias that we can create that we have to be very careful about as Christians is we can create the cognitive bias that says, I'm not good enough. Now, we know that we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. We know that. But unfortunately, we don't present that. So it's very easy to have that feeling of, I'm not good enough. And that's a cognitive bias. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his love in this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. So while you were at your worst, Christ died for you. So bad enough is not a reason, or not being good enough is not a reason to not come to God. Again, Jesus became unclean for us so that we could become clean. If you've been through a situation where you went through something really hard and the result of it was a horrible outcome and you were told this happened because you didn't believe hard enough, you didn't pray hard enough, you didn't have faith enough. If you went through a situation and you were judged because you you messed up and, and, and you blew it, I just want to let you know, and and, and it's my prayer that Jesus Christ was not misrepresented to you. 
because Jesus wants us to bring our brokenness, our hurt, our sadness. And so it's not about us being good enough. He already knows we can't be good enough. So he says, look, I'll take you in your brokenness and I'll walk through life with you in your brokenness. Now, this does not justify us staying the same. We do need to take steps of growth. But I'm telling you, if someone has made you feel like you're not good enough, that was never God's intent. That was a cognitive bias that was created, maybe based on their own negative experience, their own insecurities, their own doubts, and most likely their own misunderstandings of God and his grace and his mercy. And it was misrepresented. God was misrepresented to you. So my prayer is, is that we will begin to take steps to overcome the cognitive bias that is in our life. And so how do we do that? How do we overcome the cognitive bias in our life? And here's the truth, is we have to reframe or reshape the way that we think. Basically what reframing is, is reshaping the lens of cognitive bias in our lives with truth. Is reshaping it with truth. So the first thing we have to do is we have to identify what are the cognitive biases, 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 bias, the multiple <laughs> cognitive biases. All right, I'll just move on. But we have to identify what cognitive bias exists and more in our minds that hinder us from being able to come to know God. But here's the problem. It's difficult to recognize our own cognitive bias. It really is. Because it's, depending on who you are, it may have been such a formulation of your life. It's so normal. It's your go-to thought process that you may not recognize it. So how do you begin to break it? Here's one. Find a friend or your husband or wife. Someone who can be honest, whose opinion that you really trust and just ask them this question. What are ways that I react unreasonably? Or what are situations that I've been in that I react unreasonably? Situations where you look at me and you think, why are you reacting that way? It's just this. What are some situations that are there? Now, hopefully they're healthy enough to be able to recognize what your struggle may be, and it's not their own misunderstanding and their own cognitive bias as well. So try to do it with someone that, that is as healthy as possible, but still ask anyway. And, and what you may find is they'll start to give you examples of ways in which you reacted or responded and, and kind of step back and try to see it from their perspective. Then maybe what you might start to discover is the reason why you reacted that way was because of the cognitive bias. The reason why you flipped out over the text that says we need to talk was because of your cognitive bias. So listen to them, hear them out, because they may be able to help you identify where the cognitive bias is that you struggle with. Now, here's another way that you can identify your cognitive bias. 
is to ask yourself, when do I tend to see the worst possible outcome and why? And really begin to dig into that because maybe what you can do with that is begin to identify what your cognitive bias is. There's a statement in the book that I thought was really great. It says, we get fixated on the presence of our problems and we lose focus on the presence of God. What a great statement. This is why Romans chapter 5 verse 3 is really powerful and we rejoice in our sufferings. Why is it so powerful? Because maybe what we can do is allow passages like that to cause us to begin to look at life differently. And that's what needs to happen with our cognitive bias. We need to have it be confronted with the truth so that we can begin to look at life differently, begin to process our thinking differently. Now, it's going to take you time to do that. It, it really is. But if you can identify, okay, here are the times where my cognitive bias kicks in, and then what you begin to do is once you're able to identify that, is to create a separate list of, now, here's a circumstance, or here's a situation, here is what I'm going to do to allow myself to think differently, to react differently, to respond differently, to carry myself differently, to talk differently. So what you're doing is you're preparing yourself so that when you're in that situation, you could try to think differently. And, and just kind of be rooted in the truth. I'll tell you, this is what I had to do. When I would walk up to someone and two people were talking, and then they stopped talking, I had to actually physically or mentally tell myself, Ken, it doesn't mean they're talking about you. It doesn't mean they're talking about you. Come on, Ken. You are not the center of everyone's world where all of their conversations revolve around you. <laughs> That's what I had to tell myself. And I still have to work at it. I'm far better at, what it, at it than I, what I used to be, but I still have to catch myself at it. So that's the element of, of cognitive bias that you want to be aware of, and you want to really begin to, to train your mind to think differently. That's why Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 is so good, whatever is is true, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is, I mean, it gives you an incredible list of things to, to think about that allows you to be able to, to look through your mind and start to think, you know what, this is how I want to look at things differently. This is how I want to allow my mind to focus so that I can be healthy. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to go back and actually read the passage to you. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. So that's chapter 4, verse 8 of Philippians. So it gives you a list. So, so what you can do is you can begin to expose your cognitive bias to that truth and think, okay, is this true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellence? Is it praiseworthy? And then you can begin to change the way that you think about it. You begin to change the way that you, you look at it. What you could do now is you could also start to practice this 
when you know you're in situations where your cognitive bias can kick in. For example, I know that I still struggle with conversations. I'm, I, I'm afraid of being rejected. And, and so because of that, I, I have a tendency to try to avoid conversations where there's gonna be potential conflict. So what I've had to learn and what I began to try to do with my mind is, is just to tell myself, can tough conversations is an act of love. And, and just because we have this conversation doesn't mean that the, the friendship is gonna blow up. Just because we have this conversation doesn't mean that things are over. Just because we have this conversation doesn't mean they're going to leave. Like I, I had to go through, because that was my insecurity. My insecurity was in, if people saw the real me, and, and if I confronted issues with people, then I would just be alone. So, so I had to disarm that. So what happens is now what I try to do is every time I'm going to go into a conversation that is a hard conversation, is I have to try to tell myself, Ken, it's normal, it's natural. We're human beings. All human beings have differences. It doesn't mean this friendship is going to end. It doesn't mean that you're going to be rejected. So I have to go through that because I have to disarm my cognitive bias because if I don't, then odds are I'm not going to have the conversation. So that's what you want to begin to do. Think about your cognitive bias and where do you see it at work? Where do you see it in your friendships? Where do you see it in your relationships? Where do you see it in your finances? Begin to just really dig through that and begin to ask yourself again, how can I think differently? How can I expose my mind to truth so that I can live according to that truth? Well, I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. I'll tell you, when I, when I, when I listened to the book and it talked about cognitive bias, it really opened up a, a huge door for me, a huge, because I began to look at it and just see like, wow, there are so many elements of cognitive biases that I have, or biases that I have, and I'm gonna just continue to brutalize that, so I apologize. So I'm sure that I'm gonna get an email like, Ken, this is what it means. The plural of bias is this, biases, or just whatever it might be. <laughs> but with that in mind, it, it just revealed so much of those that it gave me the opportunity to begin to dig and go to work. And I still got work to do. I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm on this journey with you. I have not arrived and I'll probably not arrive until the day it says RIP above my head and I'm in heaven with God and now, you know, I've been changed. It'll probably be something that I'll, I'll constantly struggle with and wrestle with. But we can do this. We can overcome. We can be victorious because in him, all things are possible and we don't have to continue to have our negative experiences continue to affect the depth and the richness of our lives. Well, if this has been an encouragement to you, please share it with someone else, especially someone that you think, wow, this could really be helpful to you. Please encourage them to listen to it as well. And then not only that, if you're listening to this on our, on our website, I want to encourage you to go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you can download podcasts, and then follow us or subscribe there. That way, when we post new ones, you'll be one of the first ones to be updated and notified that we've posted a brand new podcast. 
And again, and, and our hope is, is that this will be a weekly dose of encouragement. And, and just for the, those of you, again, that are here for the first time, what we try to do with our podcast is we try to connect them with our Sunday morning experience. So the message on Sundays and then the podcast, they actually work together to create a complete thought for the week. So if you've been encouraged by this, please go back and watch the live stream from Sunday morning's message as well. So with that in mind, encounter is about three things. Love up. Let's fall madly and passionately in love with God. Love out. Let's make a commitment to love others the way that God loves them. And love in. If we're loving God and we're fully loving others, we're going to find things that we love about ourselves. Well, take care. God bless you. And come on back next week as we wrap up this series. Thank you so much for joining us for the Encounter Community Church podcast. If you could do us a favor, whatever service it is that you're listening to this podcast on, please rate and review us. If there's anything that we can do better, please let us know. But by rating and review, it also make our podcast easier for others to be able to find. If you would like to support us at Encounter financially with what it is that we're doing to make a difference in our community, whether it's the mobile food bank, whether it's serving at North High School, or making a difference, again, in our community, feel free to head over to our website, encountercommunity.church. Click the link that says online giving. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way when we post new live streams or new vlogs, you'll be updated. As well as please head over to Facebook and like our page. That way when we post new podcasts, again, new vlogs, new live streams, or have church events, you'll be updated and know what's going on here at Encounter. As we said before, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you with us. And we look forward to you being a part of the podcast next week.